Can God change your life in the next 30 minutes? I believe you're watching right now because God has something special for you. Join me for Jewish Voice and you'll discover how Bible prophecy is coming to pass before our very eyes and why you need to stand with Israel. You can play a role in God's end time plan. Find out how on Jewish Voice. Shalom and welcome to Jewish Voice. I'm Jonathan Burnus, and I am so glad that you've joined us today. We have an incredible program for you. I went all the way to New York City, the Big Apple, to interview my friend Eric Metaxas. Maybe you listen to him on radio or watch uh, him on, t on TBN or other networks. He's a dear friend who loves the Jewish people, a prolific writer, and he has chronicled the life of some great men and women of faith that I think will inspire you. So I want to take you now to that interview uh, in New York with Eric Metaxas. We're about the same age. Actually, I'm, I'm a bit older than you. I need yeah. to say that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're about this. We're from the same era. Yes. And I would love to hear a little of your testimony. I know a little of it just from talking with you off camera. Right. It's, uh, well, I love telling this story because you talk about putting the focus on God. I mean, what credit can we take? None. My story is, um, it's a real American story. My mom and dad came from Europe. My dad came from Greece. Uh, in 1955, in the mid 50s, my mom came from Germany in the mid 50s, and they met in an English class uh, here in Manhattan, right here, and about uh, you know, like about a mile from where we are, two miles from where we are. They met in a, it was a, an evening English class for immigrants to learn the English language. So they met the young uh, German woman and the Greek man, and. Uh, I was born, grew up in Queens, you know, if you're Greek, you know. So you, you, were, lo you were surrounded by Jewish neighbors, I'm sure. Well, let me tell you something. Sides. I was born in a story which was wall-to-wall -wall Greeks, but when I was like two, we moved up to Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights is totally Jewish. We were the only non-Jews on the floor of our building, okay, you know, it's like all these apartments and stuff. And so uh, Jackson Heights at that time was completely Jewish. It's, it's just kind of amazing that I can remember the people on our hallway and stuff. I grew up, just like many people grow up uh, as ethnically Jewish, I grew up as ethnically Greek. The whole Greek culture, the Greek church and everything. Of course, my mother being German, you know what happens if you're raised half Greek and half German? That means you will be raised Greek. We went to the Greek church, the whole thing. So I grew up in the Greek church, but I never really got the gospel. I never really got, it, it was, it was religion. You know, when right. we talk about religion in the pejorative sense. So the people were wonderful. I mean, we all know just good people. The Greek people uh, in that community were wonderful. We moved up to Danbury, Connecticut. The, There's a Greek community there, but somehow I never heard about Jesus in the way that we need to hear about. The culture is not telling us that, right? So um, I really drifted, I, I, I was not hostile to God, but it's like I really didn't know, can we know God? Or, you know, I, I would bump into people, kind of like your story in high school, who were born again, and I was not hostile to it, but nothing ever came of it. And then, of course, I went to Yale University, which is a bastion of secularism. If you want to lose your faith and want to become part of the, you know, politically correct, uh, cultural Marxist lockstep left, that's the place. And in the 80s, when I was there, it was already crazy. Tons of Jews again, of course. Tons of, well, yeah. yes, yeah. the secular Jews. And, but by the time I graduated, yeah, I was an English major. I wanted to be a writer. 
I was really lost, Jonathan. I was one of those people that you just think, I've been sort of told that life has no meaning. Nobody ever said it, but you get the impression that life has no meaning. Nobody talks about God or the meaning of life or why I'm on the planet. You just kind of, you get a job and you do your thing and whatever. But I didn't have a job. I had an, I was an English major. You, you aspired to write. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a writer. But the funny thing is that I wasn't sure what I wanted to write because I, you know, I, I admired all these fiction writers, but for me, the meaning of life was really important. And I was sort of stumbling along thinking there is no such thing. The smartest people in the world, you know, have, have come to the conclusion that we don't ask that question at a place like Yale. We don't ask that question because the answer would be, Oh, let's see. We, we evolved via random mutations by accident through from the primordial soup to where we are now. It's all an accident. Life is an accident. Your life is an accident. Your life has no meaning. That is so bleak. It is so inescapably bleak and horrific. Nobody goes there. Nobody mentions it. They just say, get a good job, work hard, you know, go for the gusto. But nobody actually, I was an English major, so I did not get a good job. What's ironic, if you look at the history of Harvard, Yale, the other Ivy League schools, how, what were they started they as, were as divinity all schools? Profoundly Christian, but as I say, by the time I got there, I was so lost. So I graduated, and you know, if if the message at a place like Yale is, don't think about the big questions because we don't have any good answers for you. So here's what you do: get a good job, work really hard, be successful, go for the gusto. My problem was I was an English major, therefore I did not get a good job. I was not able to distract myself from the questions. So I stumbled around trying to be a writer. I lived in Boston for a while, then. You talk about admitting defeat. I moved back in with my parents in Danbury, Connecticut. I I was 24 years old. Now, can you imagine my parents are working class European immigrants who they achieve the American dream. They have a house. They have two boys. Their oldest goes to Yale. And then he comes home lost. I can imagine. And so it had that to be was disheartening. Oh, well, it was it was, it was disheartening was, for me because I got to tell you, to, if you're all my Yale friends had, uh, you know, they had parents that would say like, oh, Eric's, you know, uh, he's finding himself. You know, they would they would have that kind of American attitude. But my parents were like, hey, you need to find yourself a job. You need to, you know, make something of yourself. So I had a horrible year. The only thing I could do with my Yale degree, think how pathetic I I had no real skills. OK, so I got a job as a proofreader at Union Carbide Corporation in Danbury, Connecticut. You want to talk about Gehenna? My <laughs> nightmare to go to a corporate environment into a cubicle, fluorescent lit cubicle, and to read you know, uh, chemical manuals to proofreads. It was just like a nightmare. And in the middle of this genuinely horrible year, when I say horrible, I mean, it was, it was, it was a dark time in my life. I was just really depressed, really lost. The Lord sent a man into my life, a graphic designer who worked on the floor. His name was Ed Tuttle, and he was a born-again believer. And he starts talking to me, but he was very sensitive and very loving, so he didn't really push it. But I was in enough pain that I was sort of, even though I was hostile, I was also asking questions, you know? And this went on for months where I was not actively pursuing this faith, but I was sort of, we were friends, and so we would have these conversations, and I began very slowly, because I had this hostile Yale mindset, to open my mind up just a little bit. But, but I, I, don't want, I don't want people that are watching to miss this. The, 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 beauty, the beautiful thing about the lows of life is it opens us up to, 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 that's, to hear and to consider something new. I, and, I and thank people God that are for watching that. Yeah. that are going through a yeah. real low in your life yes. right now. This is the moment 
for God to do something supernatural, to do something amazing, to do something right. to demonstrate that he is a God who loves you and cares about you. Well, that's, that's exactly right. I never would have wished this on anybody. I didn't want to go through this, but in the middle of this, and I, and I'm not kidding. This was misery. This was, I was, I was very deeply, deeply miserable. And so because of this pain, I would open up just a little bit to this idea of God, but not too much. You know, I'm not going to church with you, Ed Tuttle. I'm not going to go to a Bible study with you, but, but tell me a little bit more about this. And then that's enough. And, you know, it was this kind of cat and mouse game. Uh, literally almost a year into this, uh, I had begun to, he said to me, you know, Eric, I don't, I don't think you know God the way you, you could. And I remember being offended, like, who do you think you are? You know, like every intelligent person knows that you can't know God in that way. And that's just, you know, uh, that that's for, for those people. That's not for me. But in my pain, I remember what he said to me. He said, well, why don't you ask God to reveal himself to you? So I thought to myself, well, I don't know if God exists. So what am I going to pray to the room? How am I going to even pray to somebody? I don't know if he exists. But in my pain, every now and again, I would be willing to say, God, if you're up there, I need a sign. That's the famous thing, right? Give me a sign. Well, long story short, one night I had a dream and, uh, I won't tell the story of the dream cause it's a little complicated, but Jesus came to me in this dream and totally blew my mind. It was so mind blowing that in the dream, I knew Jesus is real everything that I had feared or hoped or whatever, it's real, it's true, and I'm free. I found what I've been looking for or what I was afraid didn't even exist. I was afraid to look for it because I thought maybe it doesn't exist. I found it and I woke up and I went to work and I told my friend the dream, he says, what, what, is this, what do you think it means? And I said, I've accepted Jesus. And I never would have said those words. I was just so hostile to the whole thing. I just, but I said, I've accepted Jesus. And from that day, that was the summer of 1988, I have been totally born again and I have given my life over to him totally. And it literally happened in a dream overnight. I write about it in my book, Miracles. That uh, dream. But it's also so on my website. that dream transformed your life. Overnight. Literally. And you woke up knowing. Yeah, it was, it was literally overnight. I mean, I, I had begun to think about God and to start, you know, gingerly reading some books, but I was nowhere there. I was just beginning. And it's in a way because my heart was open, God came in with this dream. And the dream so brilliantly wove together three different parts of my life that that alone was mind blowing. Like I just thought. That should give everyone hope that there's people, I've been praying for my mother now for 40 years. I've been a believer for 40 years. And in one, in this, with the snap of a finger, a dream, a vision, something where God intervenes, everything can change. I hope you're enjoying my interview with Eric. Uh, we'll return in just a moment. But I want to take just, just a couple of minutes now to encourage you to get involved with Jewish Voice. We need partners. We call them Shalom partners. Shalom means well-being, wholeness, not just peace, but actually completion. And our mission is to bring wholeness and fullness and completion to Jewish people and their neighbors. How do we do that? By providing medical care, dental care, uh, uh, clean water, but most importantly, the gospel. We need your help. 
I want to ask you to become a Shalom partner this week. $30 a month will help us to proclaim the gospel to Jewish people in need to provide humanitarian aid. $30 a month. The greatest way that you can bless a Jewish person is by providing the gospel. Uh, let me give you another need. It's a great need that we have right now. Water purifiers. It cost us $75 to provide clean water to a family for five years, only $75. I want to ask you to be super generous today. And I know this might be a stretch, but I'm going to ask you to pray about giving a $750 gift today. Think of this, 10 families will receive clean water for five years, $750. It is not an offering, it is an investment. So please pick up the phone and call, give a $750 gift if you can do it and uh, anything you do will help or become a Shalom partner, $30 a month or do both. Become a Shalom partner and give a $750 gift clean water five years for 10 families. We have some great gifts we want to send you as our way of saying thank you. Eric Metaxas, seven men, seven women, and the secret of their greatness, along with why Satan hates the Jews and a beautiful bookmark with our logo on it, with Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And if you become a monthly partner and you can give a gift of $250 or more, we'll also include Eric's book, Seven More Men and the Secret of Their Greatness. These gifts will inspire you and help you grow in your faith. Please pick up the phone and call now. Jonathan is asking for your help today to provide much needed medical care and supplies to Jewish people and their neighbors in Africa. Your support is crucial right now as the need is so urgent. To say thank you for your one-time gift of $40 or more, we'll send you Eric Metaxas' text. Combining his two books, Seven Men and Seven Women, and the secret of their greatness. Along with Eric's book, we will include Jonathan's important booklet on anti-Semitism, why Satan hates the Jews, and this Hear O Israel bookmark. Your support today will provide the funds needed to continue our clinics in Africa, which also provides the platform to share the gospel with these precious people. Jonathan is encouraging you to join him as a Shalom partner with Jewish Voice. As you join us with your monthly support of just $30 today, we will also include Eric McTax's latest book, Seven More Men and the Secret of Their Greatness. This brand new hardcover edition is full of inspiring stories that will be a blessing to your life. Call our 800 number now and let our representative know what level of giving you would like to participate in. If you prefer, you can always choose to give online at jewishvoice.tv. Thank you for your generous support of Jewish Voice and for making a difference in so many lives through your sacrifice. Now, let's rejoin Jonathan. Let's talk about another uh, hero of ours, Corey Ten Boone. Uh, you write about Corey Ten Boone. Yeah, she was a hero in the Nazi era. She was a, a, a she lived in um, Amsterdam, and she was a very serious Christian whose family, it's really fascinating, they seem to have a heart for the Jewish people. Now to think about early in the 20th century to have a bunch of Christians in Holland who loved the Jews, it was a very interesting thing. But when the Nazis you know, came uh, to take over the country, she and her family were not willing to go along with the program. And so they basically spent a lot of time saving Jews and risking their own lives 
to save Jews. Um, she and her sister were eventually uh, sent to, I think it's Ravensbrück, to one of the Nazi camps. And one of the things that I'll never forget, uh, it's a real lesson. Uh, uh, Corrie ten Boom's sister, you get the impression she was the really holy one of the two, right? She was the one in Corrie. When, when Corrie was upset, she, the sister was the one that had this amazing faith. And at one point in their grim barracks, there were lice in the uh, in the straw, which is a typical thing in these places. And Corey's sister said that the word of God tells us to thank him in all things, for all things, to praise him for all things, which means that we should praise him for everything, including the lice. And, and Corey just said that that's insane. <laughs> well, it is a funny thing because God says, if you praise me for everything, you're acknowledging that I am in everything. I can be in everything. Even the calamity that comes to you, I can use it for good. Acknowledge me in all things. And so at some point, I think almost as a pro forma prayer, she thought, okay, I'll go along with it to get my sister to shut up. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll thank God for the, for the lice. Well, some weeks later, uh, it was revealed that some of the guards at that camp did not come into their barracks uh, to shut down this Bible study they were conducting. I think if I'm getting the story right, uh, why? Because of the lice. If it hadn't been for the lice, people would not have been able to come to faith. And I, and I think that that's a lesson to every one of us that we need to, I mean, when, when, when the Bible says, you know, rejoice in the Lord always, it means literally always. What does God know that we don't know? That he says, don't rejoice in me only when everything goes your way. Rejoice in me always. I've got this secret knowledge that I want to let you in on, but I'm not going to force you. Uh, when it says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, give thanks. I mean, you start realizing God is, is trying to tell us the secret because he loves us. He's saying, be anxious for nothing. You see the lice, you see your problems, your financial problems, your unsaved relatives, blah, 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 blah. I am commanding you. I'm not suggesting it. I'm commanding you to be anxious for nothing. If you want to please me, obey me in this. Pray, rejoice, thank me, give me your problems. But if you take on worry and anxiety, you're sinning against me. Now, I think to myself, how many people kind of let that go? Like we, we look at the big sins, but we say, well, that's a little one. We all struggle with that. But why would God say that? He says it because he loves us. And because he says, you're my child. You give me your problems. Stop taking it on yourself. But he doesn't force us. If we want to worry and be miserable, you know, we're also making him miserable. It, it, as, as, his lo as our loving father, it's deeply upsetting to him to see his loving children suffer in, in our own uh, uh, anxiety. It's upsetting to him. If we want to please the Father, w you know, we have to believe what the Word says and live it out. Every now and again, God gives us a glimpse to see it's true. What a great story. Right? Maybe you're going through a really difficult time now. I know that some of you are. Uh, think about this story. Uh, God knows what's ahead, and uh, He wants to give you eyes to see what you're going through, maybe just what you need right now, but there is a solution ahead, and God has the answer for you. 
let's just let's talk about a few more uh, people that you profiled. Yeah. George Washington yeah. is a really important one. He's uh, the number in my, in my book, uh, Seven Men, it goes in chronological order. But the first chapter is on Washington. And I have to tell you what the stories are about, the seven stories, what makes a hero, what makes somebody great? It's really giving of themselves for others. Um, that's the definition, the Bible's definition of love. Agape love is not, I feel warmly toward you. Who cares about that? The question is, do I live in a way that puts you above me, that says I'm gonna be, I'm gonna trust God enough to bless you and not to worry about myself. The story of Washington is the classic case of that. This is a man, when I understood his story, I was so ashamed that I had spent all these years not really appreciating who he was. This is a man who, uh, if, you, if you go back and you think about uh, what was going on at that time, he almost single-handedly was used by God to win the Revolutionary War against the British. There's no question about it. I mean, he was a heroic figure, and there's all kinds of examples, and it's, it's amazing. But when they had effectively won the war, he was up in Newburgh, New York, not far from here, but less than an hour from where we are, with all of his officers, and they were waiting for something, I don't know, they, they hadn't really kind of gotten the final you know, uh, disposition of, of how things are gonna go, but they're right at the end of the war. And the officers, many of them had not been paid for years. The Congress, and this is almost comedy, right? In 1783, there's, such a weak federal government that they can't even collect taxes. So today the federal government is way too big and too powerful. Back then, before the Constitution, which was 1787, they, they, they couldn't get their act together to even collect taxes or anything like that. So you have these officers thinking, we have, some of us, almost lost our lives. We've given years of our lives away from our families. We've done all this stuff, and we're not even being paid. And they got more and more angry. And eventually they thought, what's the fair solution to this? The fair solution is a military coup. We won the war, so we are gonna give an ultimatum, either Congress pay us now, or we're going to uh, you know, withdraw our protection or whatever. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna really, we're gonna run the country. And we propose that George Washington, as is fitting, he should be the first king of the United States of America. Uh, we're not gonna go with, with the plan that we, we had before. We're gonna, now, if you look at it on a human level, it actually makes a lot of sense, right? The, nobody had ever had a republic and self-government and liberty in the history of the world, ever, okay? So this is not like this is an established idea and they're going off the reservation. Nobody had ever pulled this off. So they realized, look, it's not working. We're gonna do a coup and we're gonna, our king, George Washington, will be a noble king. He's not going to be a tyrant. He's going to, you know. So this kind of gets out. He hears about this. And Washington was so grieved that he gave his men a very serious dressing down. And I think to myself, what really happened was this man, George Washington, was offered a level of power that is inconceivable to us. They said, we want to make you king of this new nation. Uh, here it is. You've earned it. We've earned it. We're not going to kill anybody. We're just doing what is right. We haven't been paid. We're in charge. We'll be good guys. And he, he turns it down. And King George III, when word got back to him about what had happened, that Washington had turned this down and rebuked the men who dared to propose a monarchy where he had been fighting for liberty and self-government, 
George III said, if this is true, that Washington did this, then he is the greatest man who has ever lived. In other words, in that day and age, to, to turn down that kind of power, n knowing that you, you had the freedom to exercise it wisely, they weren't saying become a bloodthirsty tyrant, whatever, he turned it down. And I thought to myself, how many Americans understand that if it weren't for that exceedingly noble act on the part of this great, truly great man in history, America would have never come into being. We would have never had what we have. When he did become president, he was practically forced to become president. He didn't want to become president. He, he, he didn't want a second term, and then he refuses a third term. He basically says, no. I think this guy was willing to give of himself in a way that's so noble and so beautiful that it is a model for us. What because an amazing you think story. It, it took a kind of a strength that most of us, we have to be honest, would I have had the strength to say no to that much money, to that much power, to that much whatever it is? He is an extraordinary model. True so anybody, humility it, it is, in it action. It is humility and agape love in a way that no wonder he's the father of our country. He should be called the father of our country. Great story. Jonathan is asking for your help today to provide much needed medical care and supplies to Jewish people and their neighbors in Africa. Your support is crucial right now as the need is so urgent. To say thank you for your one-time gift of $40 or more, we'll send you Eric Metaxas' text, combining his two books, Seven Men and Seven Women and The Secret of Their Greatness. Along with Eric's book, we will include Jonathan's important booklet on anti-Semitism, why Satan Hates the Jews, and this Hear, O Israel bookmark. Your support today will provide the funds needed to continue our clinics in Africa, which also provides the platform to share the gospel with these precious people. Jonathan is encouraging you to join him as a Shalom partner with Jewish Voice. As you join us with your monthly support of just $30 today, we will also include Eric McTax's latest book, Seven More Men and the Secret of Their Greatness. This brand new hardcover edition is full of inspiring stories that will be a blessing to your life. Call our 800 number now and let our representative know what level of giving you would like to participate in. If you prefer, you can always choose to give online at jewishvoice.tv. Thank you for your generous support of Jewish Voice and for making a difference in so many lives through your sacrifice. Now, let's rejoin Jonathan. As we close the program today, I really want to encourage you to become a Shalom partner, a monthly partner for $30 a month. You'll be able to bless the Jewish people and their neighbors with eye care, dental care, medical care, prescriptions, antibiotics that they don't have access to, they will die without your partnership. Some will die. So please pick up the phone and become a monthly partner as our way of saying thank you. We'll send you out Eric Metaxas's book, Seven Men, Seven Women. Very inspirational, a little book that I've written, Why Satan Hates the Jews. And uh, if you become a Shalom partner, we'll also send you Eric Metaxas's latest book, Seven Mormon and the Secret of Their greatness. Your partnership means more than you can know, so please get involved. Become a Shalom partner or give a $750 gift this week and provide clean water to 10 families for five years. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like more information about our ministry or you have a need that you'd like us to pray about, you can log on to our website. It's jewishvoice.tv. We will pray for every need, jewishvoice.tv. 
I love hearing from you and I want you to know that we care about you and we will pray for your needs. As we close the program, I want to remind you that God tells each of us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love thee. So if you want to prosper this week, pray for that Jewish friend, pray for Israel, pray for the Jewish people. On behalf of Eric Metaxas and myself, this is Jonathan Bernis saying shalom and God bless you. Coming up on next week's program, Jonathan and Ezra show you the power of remembering the Sabbath. 